Welcome back, beauties, to Aesthetic Chat with Kiki. Again, I'm your host, Kiana Gamble, and I'm so excited to announce this next guest. She does training all over the country. She has her own training that she trains people at her house, as well as she's virtually training people through her Patreon. So this is Julie Bass Kaplan, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm so happy that we were able to make this work. Me too. Thank you so much for asking. Yeah. And I want you to kind of start out by telling your story, your journey into the aesthetic industry. Oh, great. So my journey really started with just a vision of hair removal. It was um, 1999. And back in the day, everybody was afraid of laser. You know, it was brand new. Everybody kind of thought of, of it kind of a scary Austin Powers type of a thing. And But honestly, I wanted something to do with my new husband as we were going to start a family. And I just thought life in the OR wouldn't be that great if we were going to have tiny children. So we bought a hair removal laser and got married and got pregnant and all the things in 1999, started a business. And basically, I, I discovered lasers because I was, I was really tired of all these hairs on my chin. And I just have, I look like a billy goat pretty much if I didn't pluck. Uh, so I always joke that I literally started my business by the hair of my chinny chin chin. So I know. And then from there, it just sort of grew. Um, We decided to buy a a VersaPulse laser to remove tattoos and learned how to do that, learned how to do brown spots with it. Uh, And then, you know, pretty soon 2002 happened and Botox came out. And my husband is my medical director and he's he had already been putting it into people's voice boxes for years because he's an ENT facial plastic. He kind of told me that that it's being used for wrinkles way before it came out and was approved. So I was happy to learn that early on. And yeah, then, you know, just kept evolving year after year after year. So I sort of came into it by, by accident, but I don't know. I just got a, had the opportunity to learn things one at a time, which is I thought was really a blessing. How cool. You started doing lasers before you even started really any injectable procedures. So your background prior to the aesthetic industry was in the OR? Yeah. So I was working my way through nursing school. I didn't even mention that, did I? I was working my way through nursing school um, as a scrub tech in the OR. So I was handing instruments and surgery uh, I did that for 10 years as I took my prereqs and um, entered the nursing program. In fact, I was scheduled to graduate with my RN, my ADN degree um, in 2000, but I accidentally got pregnant a month too early with my baby. And so um, I ended up not graduating until 2001. So I was running my business, just I, I had to hire a friend who already had her RN. And I was basically kind of the director and teaching her, you know, stuff. And I was being taught at the same time by my husband. So it was a really, really tough start for a business, you know, not even able to, to do the procedures in the beginning. I had, I just had a dream to have um, an independent business where I helped free people of their facial hair and, and body hair that they didn't want and their tattoos. And, but I couldn't even do it for 
gosh, two years because I was literally still in nursing school. It was a pretty scary time financially because uh, because we didn't really know what we were doing and and you know I had to have an employee right off the bat and everybody was afraid of lasers. Uh, so we literally lost money, I'd say for the first five years, we just kept at it, just kept plugging along until we finally, after, I think it was year five when we finally made a profit. Oh, wow. I know. That's just, that's so cool though, that your entrance into everything was lasers. So when did you go back and get your nurse practitioner degree? I didn't graduate with that until 2019 kept plugging along the whole time. So basically 2001, I got my ADN and I just sort of grew the business until 2012. I realized in 2010 that I needed to advance my career because I wanted to teach. So in 2012, I graduated with my BSN. 2014 with my MSN, I got a master's in nurse leadership. And then after that, it just sort of set a fire in me. And I was like, I need to get my NP and heck, maybe, maybe someday I'll get my DNP, but it's been a real slow, steady educational path. Not definitely not lightning fast by any means. I, I definitely took my time. <laughs> did you feel like, cause you had mentioned, you know, you want to teach. Did you feel like there were too many barriers there being just an RN and trying to, you know, advance within the field and teach others? Absolutely. Uh, The barriers are are real. And I feel like to get any sort of respect, to be able to lecture on podium, I I would need to have a higher degree, you know, to do nursing research and and all of that. I I knew I, I had to keep going. And in addition, when I, when I suffered a facial injury from injectables, that was sort of a turning point for me. I thought if, if I don't keep trying to, to get more education and to do better, then I'm just going to go back to the OR. I was, I was at that crossroads when my face was injured. So that really sprung me forward to, to get going. In fact, I started school the year that that injury happened. Julie, if you don't mind, we would love to hear you expand upon the vascular occlusion event that you experienced yourself? Absolutely. It was 2010. It was February 11th of 2010. A uh, nurse injector with 11 years experience at that time, just like me, she had also started in 1999. Uh, She came to my office to teach me how to do calcium hydroxyl appetite on the cheeks with her technique. And I'd already been using it for a few years. Uh, so I already, since it came out really. So, but, you know, I always like to have people come to my office and train me. So she came to my office. I'd met her for the first time. She did my left cheek. And I noticed in one of the injection points in the mid cheek, I noticed that a- afterward, when I looked in the mirror, it was all blanched white. And that was my first clue that something was wrong. But unfortunately, back then, we didn't know what we know now. We, we really didn't know how to recognize the signs and symptoms of a vascular occlusion. And to make it even worse, we were mixing um, calcium hydroxyl appetite with lidocaine with epinephrine. So immediately, you know, when the when the substance got into my um, infraorbital artery, immediately the blanching happened, but it just kind of kept getting worse. 
So we both went into denial when she said, oh, it's not an occlusion. It's just from the epinephrine. And so I let her do the other side of my face. And when we were all done, I walked down the hall to show my husband because I was really concerned at that point. It had started uh, turning like a light blue color from the white. Oh, no. I know. And, And at that point, probably about 45 minutes had gone by. And he just kind of freaked out on me. He sat me down and he said, yes, you're right. You do have a vascular occlusion. We need to start our protocol. So even though we had a protocol, honestly, it was one of those things like I thought it was one in a million. I did not think it was ever going to happen to me. I'd never thought I'd ever see one. And like I said, we just didn't know what we know now. Um, But I believe his, the interventions he did on me right away in the office probably helped me heal quicker. Uh, and help me heal without a lot of scarring. Which um, calcium hydroxyl apatate is, for people who don't know, is radius, which that's actually non-reversible too. Correct. So, I mean, for another thing, I'm sure you were a little freaked out because it's not like it was, you know, hyaluronic acid and you could just kind of flood the area. I mean, can you kind of walk through what you guys end up ended up doing Sure. So basically, because we didn't have really any way to reverse it, we just did um, measures to dilate my blood vessels and try to get oxygen to the tissues. So he ordered me, we didn't have hyperbaric oxygen in our town at that time either. We do now, but back then we did not. So he basically ordered me some nasal cannula oxygen. He made me keep heat. And um, we did a bunch of heat and massage. I chewed a bunch uh, like two, 325 aspirin. And we just basic, we just really focused on, on just anything we could do to vasodilate. I believe I even breathed in a paper bag and just did all those things. We ordered nitro paste and I applied that that evening of because we didn't have any nitro paste in our office at the time. And that honestly was the worst of everything for me because the second I put the nitro paste on my skin in the injury area, it felt like somebody lit my face on fire. So it was like a big oh, blowtorch. Yeah, it was so incredibly painful. So I only did that once um, and we stuck to basically watching it develop And we just basically did wound care after that. We went to a wound care specialist. But we tried to reach out to people who had seen this, and we couldn't find anybody. And this is 2010. You know, if you think about it, it wasn't that long ago, but nobody had ever seen one. We we talked to so many people all across the the United States. Um, Everybody was saying, you know, I think that's just a herpetic infection. I don't think that's really a vascular occlusion because frankly, nobody seemed to have any experience with it at the time. So did your skin actually break open then like the integrity was broken and you actually had a true open wound from the occlusion? Okay. Yeah. For several months. Oh my gosh. So do you currently still use radius in your practice or are you kind of steered clear from, you know, things like that. Believe it or not, I love it. I use it a lot in my practice, but I use it basically mostly off face. Um, and okay. if, I, if I do use it in the face, I'm going to use it with a great big cannula because I believe it's safer. And I'm going to use it in an area where there's no named vessels. 
such as perhaps um, superficially along the jawline but, and, you know, the neck with a cannula using hyperdilute. So I, we do actually go through quite a bit of radius in our practice because it's such a good biostimulation agent uh, and our patients really love it. But do I put it in cheeks? No, do, I wouldn't put it. I would never put it in cheeks or a dangerous area such as a temple, nose, um, anything like that. But I, but yeah, believe it or not, it did take me several years to get the courage to pick pick up another vial of it. But now I'm glad we did because it really is a good part of our practice. Well, that is so scary. I think that it also helps you though kind of relate to the patient if that happens. I kind of want to segue into: Have you ever had a vascular occlusion that you've had to deal with on a patient before? Oh yeah, absolutely. This is my 23rd year of business and my 21st year of injecting. And back in the day, we started out with, believe it or not, the cos- collagen. We did mm-hmm. Cosmoderm, Cosmoplast, that kind of thing. So I have been injecting um, since my nursing license in 2001. And in all of that time, I have seen five cases with my own hands where I put the filler or the sculptra in a patient and seen the blanching or seen signs of a vascular occlusion. But all five of those patients um, did really well and did not show any adverse events at all, such as necrosis. So I think that the experience I went through helped me spot it really, really easily and quickly and helped me be able to resolve it on the table. So in all, in all five cases, I recognize it on the table and reversed it right away. So I think that's key. And I think that's a, a real critical thing for injectors to be able to diagnose and treat um, at that same moment. And, and just, just to your point earlier of why did I keep getting my education uh, as a nurse practitioner or a PA or an MD, DO, we can all diagnose and treat right away. We don't have to stop and, and consult somebody, you know, before the patient gets treated. So that's another advantage of continuing um, your education. Right. So my question for you is, what do you recommend for those people that haven't had a vascular occlusion, but then it happens, right? It's not like if it's when. So yeah. what is your advice for someone that goes through that? And then I feel like I've heard that once you get a vascular occlusion, it kind of makes you stop and for some people, that's the turning point of do they continue on into aesthetics or do they, you know, pick another area of nursing and they kind of leave aesthetics all altogether? Absolutely. The the biggest thing and the thing I can't stress enough is is be prepared and know by heart the steps of what to do. Uh, know what it looks like and what to look for because I, I've helped manage probably thousands of these remotely for pe- with people and help them out. And I'm telling you, every single vascular occlusion is different, right? They all present differently. The, no two seem to be alike. So, so definitely educate yourself on how to be prepared, how to have everything you need, in, including physical things plus the education. If you're not a nurse practitioner or a PA, um, definitely have a medical director who's also highly educated in, in it as well so that you have that backup and support and you're not out there all by yourself flailing, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people will will text me or message me and say, 
um, my medical director thinks this is normal. What do you think? And I'll look at it and just my heart will leap to my throat, you know, like, oh my God, this is not normal. And um, it's too bad that their medical director doesn't have the education. That I see that so many times and it breaks my heart. So if you are an RN, and, and, or, um, you know, whatever level is legal in your state, but you still cannot diagnose and treat, definitely align yourself with somebody who has your back, who has education, because you, that's just not, it's just not okay for people. I, I feel so bad for people that get a hold of me and they don't have that support from their medical director. For sure. I think it would be really scary not to have anyone in your back pocket to, you know, refer to or be there with you to kind of hold your hand through it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely education, um, definitely have a team. We run drills in our office and I think that's a really good idea because even the person that, especially the person that answers the phone needs to be educated on, on what the, what the signs are, because if somebody calls and say, um, yeah, so my lips were done two days ago, and it just doesn't feel right, and it looks very, very modeled, and, and what should I do? Um, in that case, I would say they need to definitely you know, let one of us know instead of just saying, oh, that's just bruising, it's fine. So even people on the front desk need to be involved in the drills. Everybody, the office manager, the medical director, the whole team. So I think that's a really smart thing to do. I love that you're doing drills. I mean, it's it's an emergency. And I mean, you do that in the hospital where you run drills. So I think that's actually really smart and something that all practices should implement. Yeah. And you could even have, you know, name badges or lanyards and with their role on the lanyards, like what's their role if there's vision impairment, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, having the uh, emergency phone numbers for a retinal specialist on your on your box, on your emergency kit is a good idea as well. But mainly just the drills are great because nobody should be grabbing the the protocol off the shelf to read what to do when it happens. They need to just kick in gear and know it by heart, just like ALS. I love that advice. So I do kind of want to segue into with there being so many different options and ways to get into aesthetics. You know, you started with lasers, there's Sculptra, there are threads, there's filler, there's Botox. There's so many things that are within aesthetics that where do you recommend someone starting out start? So I always say if somebody reaches out to me and says, Hey, I want to get into it, but I don't know where to start. I always say that I think the best training, you know, you can go to courses, you can go to conferences, you can go to private trainings, but the best training is the day to day hands on with an expert so wherever you live, I, I highly recommend you go get Botox or threads or filler or laser from that the best place in town, get to know them, establish a relationship and just keep saying, I really want to work here. I really want to work here. What will it do? What, what would you need for me to apply here? And I think that's the best way because then they know you, you know them and you know, you already have a relationship. So I tend to hire um, patients a lot and I, and I think it's just, it usually works out beautifully. And so the thing is, is that you can, you can train with the best people for a weekend, but it's not going to get you what you'll get day to day hands on with somebody really, really good. That's actually really great advice. And do you, 
Do you recommend people start with, you know, maybe just neuromodulator and then go from there or maybe starting out with laser and just picking one modality and becoming really great at that before moving on or adding to your toolbox? Yeah, I really do. I think, you know, when I train somebody in my office, I like to do the cumulative uh, training method. So we'll start them off with uh, perhaps laser hair removal, get them like good with their hands, get them comfortable talking to patients, and then maybe graduate to something such as, you know, Botox, and then get them really good with a needle. And, and again, that patient consultation and handling different patients' personalities, that kind of thing. And then, you know, moving on one, one thing after another, one laser after another. So getting really good at one thing, and then advancing to the next. That's great advice. So I want to ask you, how did you kind of make that transition into the education realm of things? You know, working with the different drug manufacturers and getting on podium at places and doing kind of those things. Do you feel like it, I mean, were they coming to you and saying you have all this like knowledge, education, like can you train others or were you kind of seeking them out to share your expertise? In the beginning, I, I, Nobody knew me, right? I live in a small town in Northern California with 90,000 people. So like nobody knew me. I, I just knew that I, I, I had this message that I needed to get out there. Um, I wanted people to be aware of uh, vascular occlusions and how to prevent them and how to treat them and recognize them, you know, the diagnose and treat piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had this, this burning desire to get that out there to the world because nobody was talking about it, like literally nobody. And, and like I said, at that crossroads, I was either going to go back to the OR and quit, or I was going to drive forward. So I decided to get back in school, um, drive forward. And the first thing I did while I was in school is I sort of got out of my, I'm very, very shy by nature. So I got out of my shy shyness and I applied, I, I wrote to ISPAN, which back then was ASPSN, but I wrote to ISPAN, is a plastic surgical nurses conference group. And I applied to speak at one of their conferences in Montreal, Canada. And, you know, I was at school at the time. So I, I, I wrote a paper and I wrote a uh, talk and I got up there um, and spoke for the first time. My, my talk, my abstract was accepted. Thank goodness. And I <laughs> flew all the way to Montreal, Canada. And I, was so nervous when I got up on podium for the first time. But I met the most amazing people there, Tracy Hada, MK Maloney. And I just looked out there and I, I thought, you know what? I'm surrounded by peers. I, I don't know these people, but they have my heart and I have theirs. And that was such a powerful meeting. And it was such a powerful thing that it really lit my fire to, to do it more. But I was so nervous. I was shaking. My mouth was dry. I could barely get a word out. And I just thought I was going to faint, but I did it. And from that moment on, I started writing papers and publishing them um, in their Icepans journal. And I just got this, this desire just to keep going. And shortly after Allergan asked me to be a trainer and I was going into offices, um, just little offices around Northern California. And, and it just grew from there, you know, really gradually, I'd say from, and that was 2012 when Allergan hired me. So really my education career started off after my injury in 2010 and definitely 
just started climbing after, after 2012, after that first time on podium. Um, so how amazing. Yeah. And if you ever want to get on podium, just write an abstract and just ask to be there. So people don't, aren't going to ask you, you're going to have to ask them in the beginning, you're going to have to open that door. And if you don't open that door, you know, it'll, it'll just stay shut. So go for it. That's really, really good advice. I do have to ask, since you are more shy, do you still get nervous to get on podium now? Or is it something that's more natural and organic for you? No. The first five minutes, I'm so nervous. I've recently fallen off the stage twice, so now I'm nervous of going up. (laughs) So now I'm nervous just stepping up like two and a half feet, you know, off the ground. And uh, But no, I'm still shy. I'm still nervous. Uh, I, I can't. I have this imposter syndrome where I get up there. I'm like, why have I been asked to be here? Like, I don't deserve to be here. There's so many more people that deserve to be here. Why am I here? And I, and I run that through my mind. It's this terrible negative talk track that I have to just conquer and move it aside. I have to sit there and go, hey, stop it. You, you've been injecting for 21 years. You got this. You deserve to be up here. And it's crazy, but but there I am, you know? So then I notice after about five minutes, I, I'm normal again. I just I pretend I'm talking to friends and I literally don't know what's going to fly out of my mouth because I, I start getting like very natural, like talking like I would talk to my friends. Um, <laughs> so that makes me nervous, too, that I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth because I'll just start joking and I don't know where my jokes are going to lead. But it makes me feel comfortable. In addition, oh my gosh, I do suffer with um, dyslexia, so I can't read out loud. So there's my, you know, slides ahead of me, and I and I can't just sit there and read my slides. I have to have the slides remind me of what I'm supposed to talk about. And literally, every time I speak, it's off the top of my head because I because I can't read out loud. Oh my goodness! Well, we are our own worst critics for sure. But I can say that you're being on podium at LAMCA. It was great. Like I did feel like, you know, you were talking to the crowd, which is nicer than, you know, reading the slides. So I love to say you did great. Oh, thank you. I was so nervous about that one in particular, because think about it. Like what Dr. Karimi has done is sticking all these really amazing MDs up there with, with NPs and RNs and PAs like putting us all together, like we all have a seat at the table. That is so incredible and so powerful. And I thought, oh my God, Julie, don't mess it up. Don't mess it up. And then I've never been there before. That was the first time I ever spoke there. So I didn't know, you know, that where the timer was. I didn't know how to pronounce some people's names. And I was so nervous. But, you know, everybody, you guys all made me feel at home. And I I thank you for that. And you know, I probably set up inappropriate things all day long, but, (laughs) but I am a truck driver's daughter. That's just where I go in default, but it's, you know, it's from my heart for sure. (laughs) I loved the multi-specialty approach there. I love that there were so many different specialties to talk and yeah, they did have, you know, RNs, NPs, PAs, they had all different types of people on podium. Whereas what I'm hearing is, you know, it's not necessarily the case for other conferences or other spaces to allow, you know, nurses, nurse practitioners to even speak on aesthetics, which is crazy because 
RNs are injecting more than MDs are in some cases and in some areas, you know? Yeah, I think we do about close. Leslie Fletcher says we're close to 90% of all injectables done. So, you know, to me, I, I don't go to conferences that don't allow RNs or PAs or NPs up on the podium because I, I don't want to support somebody who's not supporting us. Uh, I think it's it's terrible. And it it just brings me, it just feels like we're going back in time to, you know, savage at times where it's just not okay. So yeah, I don't go to those at all. And I, and I don't want to give them any money until they start respecting us. 90%. That's what Leslie Fletcher's. I think that is crazy. I know. And um, believe me, the pharmaceutical companies know who's injecting their products. People who outwardly um, shame us for, for what we're doing and, and talk down to us, believe it or not, you know, you look them up and they have NP and PA and RN injectors in their office too. So it's like, it's not okay to use us and abuse us. Right. I mean, people in people that are working for those physicians too, it's like, I wonder how they're treated day to day and in clinic, you know? Uh, Yeah. I shudder to think, which brings me back to the first point. If you are an RN and you want to be an injector, choose a wonderful office that has a really good climate. And you can tell when you walk in an office, what kind of, what kind of uh, cultures there. But uh, if, if the nurses are happy, everybody's being respected, you, you can feel it. Very true. So I do kind of want to transition into the creation of your Patreon and all the videos you create each week, as well as, you know, your head and breakfast that you host at your house. Yeah, I know. It's a pretty original idea, right? It's very cool. (laughs) I love it so much. It's honestly the best part of our month, um, welcoming people. But but yeah, it all started, um, believe it or not, with the people at home doing do-it-yourself injectables. It, I realized when, when, um, there was a, a YouTube person showing people how to order stuff online and inject in their bathrooms. And when I saw that happen, I, I kind of got vocal about it and challenged her, turned her into the FDA and all these, all these things transpired. And what I realized is that that movement was much bigger than I ever dreamed, uh, at the same time, there was somebody in my town of Reading uh, pretending to be a nurse and injecting silicone into people and oh that she ordered online. Yeah. So I was seeing all these disasters in my own town and seeing this lady show people how to order imitation fillers and, and neuromodulators. So I kind of made a stand about it and realized how big it was, how big of an issue it was. And then I I was thinking, oh my God, I'm showing people how to do this on my Instagram. Like I'm literally doing a how-to on my Instagram. And the YouTuber, actually, I was talking to her. We we did this show on, on the doctor's TV show. And I was talking to her, asking her not to teach people this anymore. And she goes, well, what are you doing? And I, she goes, you're teaching people all the time on your Instagram. And I, and it was just a, a like, oh my God moment. I, and I just said, oh, you're right. You're right. Uh, I can't do this anymore. So I, and she goes, why don't you just get a Patreon? 
And I, I didn't even know what that was. And I said, well, what is that? And she goes, it's a way you can bet who, who subscribes to you and you can do your own thing. And, and I was just like, oh my God. And I looked at it and I thought, this is the answer. So I immediately took all of my videos off of YouTube, off of Instagram, off of any social media that I could find. And I started a Patreon and that was in t- November of 2019, right before the pandemic. So but it kind of was cool because it gave me something to do during the pandemic <laughs> when we couldn't see our real patients. My poor husband, I was injecting him like crazy. I think I threw like 20 syringes of Illuma. Poor families. Yeah, I know. And I was like, I got to teach. I got to teach. Let me do this. And so I started growing the Patreon and oh my, it's been such a blessing. And then when we finally moved to Ashland, Oregon, we we built this really like our dream house and then we had this vacation home and i said honey what do you think of this idea you know what what we have potentially a place for 10 to 12 people to sleep between the two houses what if we invite people in we show injection anatomy with cadavers cuz i did that through palette resources and i said and let's just let them inject them and then find out where their filler goes in our from our own home And, you know, and he said, oh my God, let's do it. So it was really nice. And so we kicked off 10 months ago or almost a year ago now, kicked it off with some friends. We had them fly here and we did a trial run. And then I did two more trial runs with my office ladies. And then we launched it and it's been such a blessing. So 10 to 12 people sleep in our houses and we cook them breakfast. We cook them lunch. We all go out to dinner and in between we inject um, the cadaver heads and, and ourselves and then go down and find out exactly where our filler went. And it's just two and a half days of community um, friendships, new friendships being forged. And um, it's just a beautiful thing. Very cool. The, the part about, you know, people injecting themselves. Like I was more concerned about, you know, people that take one class and then they try to go inject filler on their friends. I, that's a whole yeah. other layer of, you know, injecting yourself from a YouTube video. That's yep. and very believe, concerning. Believe me, it, it, it's an underbelly. It's ha- happening a lot. And, and people do reach out to me and say, oh my God, I did this to myself. Now what do I do? And I'll usually hook them up with somebody that's nearby that I, that I trust. But it happens so much. They're really hurting themselves out there. And it, it does break my heart. But I feel like I don't want to be a part of the problem anymore. So that's why I, I don't do step by step. You know, here's how I do it, you know, just out there anymore. So with with Patreon, they, you know, they send their license number to me and I can look them up and make sure they're legit. And if I find somebody in there that isn't, I can block them. So well, it's it, good. Yeah, it it just makes me feel a little bit better about putting my videos out there and teaching digitally. So was there a bunch of clearance to getting cadavers to your house? Yes. (laughs) I cannot even imagine. Like I was like, wait, when I was when I found it, I was like, this is happening at her house? (laughs) Like what kind of (laughs) 
I don't know how you how you even get cadavers to your home. That's oh my gosh, yeah. It took months, several months. They vetted us. They we have two businesses lined up. We have um, two addresses with the businesses. So yeah, I had to establish a you know legit business. They my husband is the medical director, and he you know he's there with me, and we have to be sure it's in a secure locked facility with an alarm and all the things. Yeah, so it. They vetted us very, 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 very carefully. And I, I think that's necessary. It needs to happen. Well, that's amazing. Are there any last words that you have for, you know, aspiring injectors, new injectors, kind of really for any injectors that you kind of haven't given yet? I mean, you've given some great advice. So, Oh, thank you. I guess in closing, I would say reach for your dreams. If your dream is to be an injector and make people happy, it's the most I think it's the most amazing thing, um, most amazing career. But don't don't worry. Don't say, "Oh, I'm just an associate degree nurse." Don't say that. Don't don't say I'm just a this or just a that. Just say, "Hey, I'm going to reach for my dreams, and I don't care if it takes 20 years. I'm going to do it." And honestly, if you can submerse yourself full time into an office, get training every single day, and and the more you do, the better you're going to be. Don't just say, hey, I want to do it once a week as a side gig while I work in the ICU. You know, just immerse yourself, go for it, jump in and never quit. Great advice. So tell everyone where they can find you on social as well as find more information on Patreon and, you know, your head and breakfast. Okay. So um, I'm jubilant.julie on Instagram and in my bio you'll see a link for my Patreon. It's basically go to patreon.com and search for Jubilant Julie. And then all the information for the head and breakfast is there because I only do the head and breakfast for for Patreon members. And again, that's to kind of keep us together as a community and vet everybody who comes to my house. So yeah, it is just a beautiful thing. And hopefully... um, Patreon only costs $9 a month for, for beginners and there's different tiers, but you know, hopefully somebody out there will go, Oh my gosh, I can afford that. And they'll get a lot of education before they even pick up their first syringe. That's my hope. Well, thank you, Julie, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Thank you again, Julie, for taking the time to come on the podcast. I loved how our conversation talked about a whole broad spectrum of things. You know, we even discussed a little bit about radius as well as vascular occlusions. And I just it was very fun chatting with you. And that was season two, episode two. Stay tuned because I have a lot of other fun guests coming up this season. So as you guys know, you can find updates on the podcast, on the podcast Instagram, which is at aesthetic.chatwithkiki. You can follow along on my aesthetic journey, which is at aestheticnurse.kiki. On the website, there is going to be some new apparel dropping. So that is aestheticnursekiki.com. And for aspiring injectors in the Pacific Northwest, I am having my first event called Brunch and Aesthetic Chat, September 23rd. So if you haven't already heard about the event, go ahead and check it out on my website under the events tab. It's called Brunch and Aesthetic Chat. So I'm really excited to see you all at the event. 
I have some really fun speakers coming up and I'm going to do my first live podcast with Melissa Berg. So I'm really, really excited for that. And if you haven't already tried, heard about Love Pro Lash, you need to go check them out. They're at-home lash extensions. They last up to 10 days. I've heard of people getting them to last even longer, but they take less than five minutes to apply the same great quality as well as look that true lash extensions give you. So they did give me a code. Use Kiana10 at checkout for 10% off. All right, beauties, have a great day. Bye.